Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. For those longtime listeners, for those that have been following the show, yes, we are still here. We still have our shirts. We are okay. <laughs> we're uh, a down week. We were we were talking a big game, thinking that this was the week we were going to get back over 500, get in the green for the year. Uh, it did not go that way, but we are still here. We're still making the show. Still have our jobs. We're all good. Uh, this is, of course, Stack in the Box. We do college football picks. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined by Cody Williams. We are on the comeback trail after a minor setback last week. And what a week to do it because we have some serious college football games. we got the Red River Showdown. we got Alabama, Texas A&M. We have Kentucky, a resurgent Kentucky team, going to Georgia, who may be a little vulnerable after another close call last week. So a lot to get into. We're going to get right into the picks. But first, Cody. How's it going? How was everything this past weekend? I know it was dire out there. I did worse than you. I was one and five last week. You were two and four, but how's it going? Yeah, I don't think either of us have any bragging rights, so I'm not going to sit here and boast about two and four. But, you know, uh, I was actually at a wedding this weekend and uh, watching uh, these bets lose in the middle (laughs) of the groom suite. So, uh, you know, at least I had a good setting to, you know, get my almost lose my shirt. Hopefully it was an open bar though, because uh, you know, paying oh, drinks might have been might have been a, a troublesome endeavor after last week's bets. I would have had to go pay somewhere <laughs> in solitude. I'd have had to leave the wedding for sure. All right. Well, we are. I, I like the card this week. I like what we've done. I think we're going to get back on track here. We're going to start all that up. But first, let me tell you about what our friends at DraftKings are doing. New promotion. Use the code STB when you sign up at DraftKings for this great show stack in the box. And you will bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus no sweat, same game parlay every day. Again, this is new users can place a $5 first bet to instantly claim your $200 in bonus bets. And you will also be rewarded with a separate no sweat, same game parlay every single day when you opt in. All you have to do is, again, use the code STB. Using our code STB, which stands for Stack in the Box, not only gets you these great bonuses, but it also supports the podcast. If you've been considering signing up for DraftKings, make sure, again, to use that code STB to maximize your first bets, get some bonus bets, get an opportunity to play some no-sweat same-game parlays. This offer only applies to, to those new customers who are 21+, plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer See if you qualify. Again, that's code STB. We'll continue to hammer that home throughout the show. Cody, before we get into our picks, just any quick things you want to recap from last week? I know you had the wedding, but was there anything that stood out to you maybe that surprised you or that you thought was your biggest takeaway after week five? I think it's kind of just like the culmination of a takeaway that I've had for much of the season that we're. I think this is the most parody we've seen in college football in a very long time. Like, you know, you look at Georgia looking vulnerable, but this isn't like the, you know, the Missouri game from last year where, you know, it kind of caught everyone off guard. They looked vulnerable in the first half against South Carolina. And then you've seen Texas, you know, they looked vulnerable against Wyoming after, you know, beating after beating Alabama. Florida State almost got got by Clemson, probably should have gotten got by Clemson. Like all of these top contenders have all shown serious flaws that could come back to haunt them. But I think that makes for a more interesting college football season where we're like there isn't one team that's just so, you know, a 65 to 7 Georgia team that we saw last year in the national championship game. Like there isn't that one team that's just going to dominate everyone. It's so much more parity, but I think that makes for a lot more fun for us as, you know, college football fans and college football viewers. Yeah, I, I, it's definitely much more wide open. I I still wonder how many teams can actually win the college football play, uh, yeah. win the national championship and make the college football playoff. I still think it's a a condensed list of teams. I don't know if like a TCU is coming out of nowhere. I think when it's all said and done, like the 10 teams we kind of pegged before the season probably ends up making it. Like, I don't know if there's like a real long shot coming out and making it like yeah. looking at the board right now, like maybe like a Washington state who's undefeated and you know has a high rate. I don't know if like that team is making it, but that being said, 
when those four teams get in there, if it's some sort of combination of like a Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Florida State, like the gap between those four teams mm-hmm. seems to be tighter than it's been in quite some time. So I agree with you there. And it's starting to look more apparent that way. I do wonder just how vulnerable Georgia is in some of these matchups. I still think that uh, they still have a gear that teams can't reach, but I don't know if it's like as much as last year, for example. Right. No, I'm a hundred percent with you. I think like, you know, last year might not be the best example, except for the national championship game, obviously, but in most college football playoffs, there's like at least one or two games that are a complete blowout. Like one of the Mm -hmm. teams looks like they doesn't belong. They don't belong. And Based on what we've seen so far, I'm not sure we're going to see that in the playoff this year because, like you said, those whoever makes it in the top four, there's not going to be those big separators that we've seen. I'm with you on Georgia, though. I mean, we'll we'll get to the Georgia-Kentucky game here in a bit, but I think that this is a team that by season's end might uh, might be making all of these, you know, questioning the Bulldogs look a little bit silly. Yeah, we'll get into it. We will talk about Georgia-Kentucky. We will talk about Red River, Texas-Oklahoma. We'll talk about – Alabama, Texas A&M. But first, let's start our week six pick slate again. Myself and Cody, we're tied now. 16-21-1. It has been a, it's been a grind. We're going to try and get it back here. A lot of picks to get to. Let's start early week games. If you're listening to the podcast, these are games going on. Uh, there are some games on Wednesday. Cody and myself are going to be focusing on the Friday night slate. Cody, I'll let you go first. We have two high power five games on Friday night. We have Kansas State, Oklahoma State, and Nebraska, Illinois. Where are you looking? Let's get off to a good start here. Yeah, so I'm going to that Nebraska, Illinois game, and mm-hmm. I've got the over 43, which I found on DraftKings. Uh, let me be quite clear. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in either of these offenses, but what I do have confidence in is that these defenses are overall not great. And, you know, uh, when you look at um, Illinois last year with Ryan Walters, who's now the head coach of Purdue, they were basically living off the su- success of their defense. Well, now this season without him and with a lot of turnover, you know, losing guys like Devon Witherspoon, uh, they're 116th in dis- defensive success rate this season. And even if Nebraska's offense is pretty hapless, uh, even if, after, you know, doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, Jeff Sins or uh, the sophomore Harburg, um, mm. They did put up 28 and 35 points against Louisiana Tech in Northern Illinois, and Illinois' defense is kind of playing on that level, not necessarily at a Big Ten level that we might expect. And then on the flip side of that, Nebraska is better than Illinois defensively, but not by a whole lot. And they're also 85th in defensive success rate against the pass. And I think Luke Altmaier, he's going to make mistakes, but I think he has enough ability and there's enough of talent on this Illinois offense, which has flashed in some instances to get over a relatively low total at 43. I just think these are two bad defenses that are bad enough that the the total should be higher than this. I will come back to this game in a little bit, but I I agree, especially with your point about Illinois passing the ball a lot more this year. The losing Chase Brown has really Mm -hmm. uh, turned this team into a passing team. I mean, the defense has been a a big downturn. I mean, look at Illinois – over the balance of the year, they should have lost week one to Toledo. Mm-hmm. They should have, you know, it, they ended up beating Florida Atlantic, I believe, by six, but competitive game against Florida Atlantic on their backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got smoked by Kansas. They got smoked by Purdue last week. And obviously, yeah. Penn State wasn't very competitive. Uh, this Illinois team, I, I think last year was obviously a fantastic year for them. I believe they won seven or eight games, but coming back down to earth a little bit. Not that this is like what's going to happen for Burp Bellamo the rest of the time here, but like a natural. Right. step back after such a great last year. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm looking at the other game, though. Oklahoma State, I'll take the uh, – I I got 10.5. I think there's 11.5s available right now, so make sure to shop around get the best of the number. Um, I like Oklahoma State in this game against Kansas State. I believe that Oklahoma State it, – it's tough to get a real data point on them because they're running this three-quarterback system mm-hmm. early in the year, and – Two weeks ago, they had a bye last week. Two weeks ago, their last game, they played at Iowa State. It was all Alan Bowman, the Texas Tech transfer, and he played pretty well. Put up 27 points. The Oklahoma State offense looked more competent because they were sticking to one quarterback and letting a guy get into a rhythm. Right. They're playing Kansas State, who hasn't been all tested all that much. They have a really good rush defense, but they're secondary outside the top 100 in EPA per pass. So I think off the bye at home – I believe you're going to see a better Oklahoma State offensive output. I don't know if I'm calling for an outright upset or anything, but I just think Kansas State, 
the only power five opponent we've seen them are out. First of all, they let up 30 plus to UCF's backup quarterback. And then they let up 30 plus to Missouri. Missouri might be better than we expected, but we've seen teams score on Kansas state. And I question if they're going to be able to run away and hide on the road as a big favorite night game conference play. And maybe this is a little subjective, but this feels like a rock bottom for Oklahoma state, Mm -hmm. given where they've been over the past few years with Mike Gundy. And listen, maybe this team is on the downswing and this is kind of the end of the Gundy era, but it just feels like off a buy, you're going to get Oklahoma state's best and you're going to have a huge number here. Like you don't need a win to cover this number, really be within earshot of winning to cover this number. So double digit home dog, I don't know, this jumped out to me. I mean, it's 11 and a half now, so maybe I'm just dead wrong, but I like Oklahoma state at a big number. No, I I think this has backdoor cover written all over it for you. Like, I think that's the type of – like, I think Kansas State is pretty clearly the better team in this, even if they haven't been tested. I still think that, like, they played Missouri closely. I think Missouri is actually pretty good, uh, you know, in contrary to our uh, preseason expectations for the Tigers. But um, I think that this Kansas State defense, when I was looking at the metrics – so when I first saw this line, I was actually prepared to fight you on this and take the Kansas State (laughs) side. But then I started digging into the Kansas State defensive numbers, and – they're very pedestrian and that's not normally what we're used to seeing from the Wildcats. And that's what scares me a little bit for an offense that can run a little bit hot or cold with Will Howard at quarterback who also has been banged up this season. So, you know, take that into account as well. And I think, like you said, on the road night game, this just feels like a tricky spot. And so I think getting double digits as uh, double digits with the dog, I think that's the right side. Yeah, definitely. Let's go. Let's talk some totals here. Let's see if that could turn things around. Uh, We're going out West for both of them. Where are you looking? Uh, Colorado, Arizona State. How how are you looking? So I'm going the over 60 and a half. Um, I think that now that the Colorado State hype or the Colorado, excuse me, I combined the two. But now that the Colorado hype has uh, uh, died down a little bit, I think we're going to start to see numbers that are a little bit more palatable to bet. And for me, Mm -hmm. having this total around 60 is probably the right spot. Look, Arizona State's offense has been absolute dog water this year. They're 129th in offensive success rate through five weeks. And uh, Jaden Rashada is out until November, and Drew Pine is actually questionable for this game. That does scare me a little bit taking the over on this. Having said that, I do believe that Drew Pine is probably going to tough it out in this big spot for Arizona State. And – we saw against USC that Arizona State found some offensive success with Kenny Dillingham, really looking at Scadabo, their running back or kind of H-back, kind of do-it-all type of presence in their mm-hmm. offense. And he's the exact type of weapon that I think can really tear up this Colorado defense. When you look back at the Oregon game and how Oregon was able to dice up this Buffalo's defense, they were able to do it basically with a lot of underneath stuff and like up the, up the gut and through the middle and stuff like that. I think that's where Colorado is vulnerable. Obviously, Oregon doesn't have the same – or Arizona State doesn't have the same pl- – uh, line play as Oregon does mm-hmm. but I do think they're still going to be able to t- attack Colorado in those areas and then on the flip side of that uh, Arizona State's defense is better against the pass than it is against the run but Colorado actually ran the ball for the first time last last week against USC with some pretty decent efficiency granted that's USC whose defense we have everyone should have questions mm. about and rightfully so but at the same time this isn't an Arizona State team that even has like the talent level that a USC defense defense does they don't have the same caliber of player even if USC's defense is underperforming under Alex Grinch so I just think this is going to be very much a back and forth affair I don't think Colorado's defense is capable of stopping a power five opponent uh consistently when they have some sort of plan to attack them like Nebraska, I'm excluding in that conversation, but I do. Jeff just Sims think, at quarterback for sure. Yeah, which especially with Jeff Sims at quarterback. So you know, I just think that this, there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game. I don't think the defenses are the storyline at all coming out of this one. I, I completely agree. I think it's it, you can only look you can only look over here given what you've seen from Colorado and Arizona State. Like you mentioned, Kenny Dillingham, an offensive minded coach. Maybe starting – I know it's like a patchwork Arizona State team that's so banged up, mm-hmm. but maybe they're starting to turn it up a little bit, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So can't fault you there. The one that caught my eye, San Jose State, Boise State, over 59. I think I've mentioned both these teams as over teams. I know San Jose State I have, but both these teams I've pegged as over teams, and they both held serve this year. They've gone over in each of their – four of their first five games each. Boise State – there, there's reports coming out and maybe holding down this line that 
they're going to go to two quarterbacks throughout the game, whether it's Taylor Green, the dual threat quarterback, or Maddox, Maddox Madsen. This happened during the Memphis game, though. So when Boise State put up 32 against Memphis last week, like that was with two quarterbacks playing. Right. So what, this isn't some brand new development. This happened during the game last week. So I actually think that the Boise State offense might be suited for this. I also think Sam, Boise State, their biggest concern was their secondary. We saw Washington dice them up. We saw UCF move the ball at will against them. I think Siobhan Cordero is going to be able to do the same. Boise State outside the top 100 in EPA per pass this year. And on the other side, San Jose State's defense, I mean, can't hold a candle to anyone. They lost two pros on the on the defensive line. I think that this defense continues to struggle. I think you see an uptick from Boise's offense. Uh, again, scored 32 against Memphis last week. Two quarterbacks. I don't think it's as much about like one's not one is not working, but I think both can be effective against the poorest defense. And I don't think it's like we're going to shuttle it out like Oklahoma State. It's more like this is kind of working for us. Matt is more of a better passer. Taylor Green more of a natural runner. Maybe get him going a little bit in the run game. They'll look different drive to drive, but I think that's going to be one of the times where I actually am in favor of it. If that that sounds a little like gathering, but I think this could work a little bit better to two different quarterbacks instead of like three just or two poor passers. It's two very different passers. Uh, so I think this is a big recipe for points. I think these are two over teams and they hold serve here. Each team's gets in the end zone at least four times. And this game breaks into the sixties. No, I like that a lot. And to your Boise state point with the two quarterbacks, like I do think it's like, it's not necessarily of, we have two good or two bad options. So we're just trying to see which one's better. I think it's more akin to like in the NBA, you know, you have teams that have a different uh, closing lineup, a different crunch time lineup than they do a yeah. starting lineup. And I think it's very akin to that where it's just kind of like matchup based more than it is necessarily like they have two good options that give different looks and keep defenses on their heels. Yeah. And this is a Boise state offense that also ranks top 10 on the mm-hmm. ground this year in success rate. So Boise state's been running the ball really well. It's more tailing green. Isn't making the downfield passes to threaten right. the defense. But Boise, I think, is going to be able to impose their will on the ground. San Jose State's defense is hot garbage when it comes to defending the run. I mean, 130th in EPA per rush, 123rd in successor. I mean, teams have been carving them up on the ground. And I also like coming back the other way, though. Cordero has a big Mm -hmm. arm, can make plays. He's dynamic, kind of a roller coaster. But I think both these offenses can score. And I think you see Boise two and three to start the year. One and one conference play, so still in the mix there. But I think Boise's been a little underwhelming in some of these higher class competitions or where you're, you know, you're playing UCF or Memphis. They lost both those games. I think they come back down to earth. They put up a lot of points, but I still can't trust the defense. So I went over here uh, in this Mountain West matchup. No, and I like that. I mean, you know, the traditional uh, MO for Boise has often been its defense. And I think, I think you're getting a good number here because I still think that odds makers are a little slow to adjust that, that's not the Boise State team mm-hmm. that we're watching right now. <laughs> yeah, this defense is trying to get in the wrong direction for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got through you know, the weeknight games. We got total in there. We're starting to like let, spray the board a little bit. Let's talk about some of our bigger games, though. We're going to go first. Notre Dame-Louisville. Set the stage here. Louisville mm-hmm. blows through some easier competition to start the year. Have their first real showcase game, prime time, against – uh, North Carolina State last week, Lanek, 13-10 final. It was ugly. Jack Plummer was terrible. Brennan Armstrong on the other end ends up getting benched now for North Carolina State. So Louisville's undefeated. They're ranked in the AP poll, but maybe people aren't so impressed in them. The last thing they saw was a pretty ugly effort. They now host a Notre Dame team that everyone's seen this year. They played yeah. that game in Ireland in week zero where everyone was watching. They smoked Navy. They lost a heartbreaker to Ohio State, but I think – Came out of that one looking pretty positive. People were pretty oh, impressed yeah. with the Irish. They Sam Hartman rally with a minute left to beat Duke on the road in mm-hmm. prime time last week. All right, that's been a pretty busy year for uh, Marcus Freeman and the Irish. They're now back on the road this week in a night game to face Louisville. Cody, how do you see it? I've got to go with the Irish minus six and a half. I just okay. see I see the better team in in South Bend, even on the road. Uh, look. Louisville's five and zero. They're ranked, but let's be real; they haven't played anyone of note. Like uh, 
the two toughest defenses that, that defenses that they faced to this point were probably Indiana and NC State. And mm-hmm. they managed a combined 34 points in those two games. Notre Dame is head and shoulders above those two defensive units. Like we said going into the Ohio State-Notre Dame game that the defenses were probably the best units on the field. And in that matchup, that means that they're probably two top 10 defenses in the country. So, like, we're looking at a legitimately elite defense that – and Jack Plummer has struggled against good defenses, much less an elite defense. And so I just don't think that this Louisville offense is going to have a whole lot to offer, after, what we, especially after what we saw against NC State last week. Maybe that's a little bit of a bad taste, but I also just have that much faith in the Notre Dame defense. Then on top of that, Louisville's defense has been pretty solid, but they're actually uh, outside of the top 40 in rush defensive success rate this season. And so I think Notre Dame is just going to be able to run the ball down their throat with Audrey Estime consistently. And I think that Sam Hartman is going to be able to take advantage of that if they start crowding the box. Just Sam Hartman loves taking the, you know, eight to 12 yards that you're going to give them over and over and over again. And I don't think Louisville has the secondary to really stop that, even against Notre Dame's pass catching core that is both depleted and lackluster to begin with. But I just think that getting less than a touchdown with Notre Dame, I I have to jump on that. I would fight you because I like the Louisville's. I I think Louisville's going to win this game. I I, I think, I think the cards are going to win. I, I went with the under as my best mm-hmm. bet, and I'll I'll explain. And you make some points that lead credence to the under. Mm-hmm. My biggest concern with Notre Dame running away and winning with margin in this game is it's the seventh game in a row. They've traveled to Dublin. This is their third straight night game. They haven't had a bye yet. They just played Duke. They will be getting back two of their top receivers from injury that didn't play in the Duke game. So maybe they get a little pop in the passing game. I just think Notre Dame is an under team. They move slow. They're bottom 20 in terms of plays per minute. They don't really take the top off of defenses. And I think that they want to just ground and pound and they want to drive down the field methodically. Like you said, with estimate, I think, I don't know if they're going to be able to rip off chunk plays, but I think they're going to be able to chop away at Louisville and get the ball downfield, get inside the 30 and make plays from there. And I think Notre Dame's path to success is in the, the 27 20 victory, you know, so mm-hmm. where both teams are in the 20s, and that leads itself to an under, in my opinion. So I went under. I think that Notre Dame's secondary, very stout. I just wonder if Jeff Brom can scheme up a few deep shots or explosive plays for Louisville. I mean, Jamari Thrash, Jordan, these skill core guys for Louisville have been super explosive. Can they maybe make this Notre Dame defense bite on a few and get some guys in space? Because Jack Plummer's biggest issue has been when the pressure gets to him. He's not a very mobile quarterback. He's He doesn't handle pressure well. Notre Dame's pass rush just hasn't been getting home as much. They're bottom half of the country in terms of sacks, so they're not necessarily getting home all that much. So maybe the Louisville offensive line could hold up a little bit and give Plummer some time. I like Louisville in the game. My favorite bet is going to be on the under because I think – Louisville is going to struggle to sustain drives. Maybe they have a few deep shots, but I also think Notre Dame's offense might be running on fumes here and they're going to struggle. I could see a similar type of game to the Duke game last week. I I, I think lower scoring Notre Dame might be out of gas, but I do trust their defense quite a bit to hold up. So I I think again, mid twenties type of final here. I, I like under 54 is my favorite bet in this one. Yeah, so something that's probably going to be I think Louisville's going to win, though. I I, I think Louisville's going to win. Yeah, I wish you would have fought me on this uh, (laughs) because if if you had put uh, the Louisville side down on this, I would have taken the under. Uh, that's I didn't want us to, you know, uh, double up on the same pick, but I Uh I love the underplay because, I mean, as as you said, from the points I made – I just think the game script sets up for an under pretty easily. I will say to your point about, you know, Jeff Brom dialing up explosives – Notre Dame did a very good job against Ohio State at limiting the explosives until the end of the mm-hmm. game with like the Henderson run and the like Buka touchdown or not touchdown, but you know, play yeah, close to the goal they, line. That basically set up the touchdown. My yeah, exa- hockey assist touchdown. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, so, I mean, and I have a lot more faith in Ohio State's playmakers and Ryan Day's offense, even if I have not a lot of faith in Kyle McCord still. Um, I have a lot more faith in them to dial up that type of thing, and Notre Dame still handled it very, very well. So I have less faith in Louisville's offense in this game. I think that's what worries me the most in terms of Louisville keeping this within a touchdown is that 
I just think Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame in that defense, even if they, you know, I understand that their pressure rate is not what you would expect from a defense that has been as good as they have been. I just think that they're solid enough through, you know, top to bottom that, Louisville's going to have a real hard time consistently moving the ball and specifically, like you mentioned, finding explosives. Yeah, I just feels like a big number. <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I look back, so they closed like five against Duke, and Louisville was a three and a half point road favorite at NC State. It just feels like a big change in sentiment mm-hmm. just because of how ugly that Louisville North Carolina State game was. But we'll see. It should be an interesting one. I'm on the under Cody's on Notre Dame laying the points. We kind of teased it at the beginning. Georgia needs another second half, not even rally, but second half come from behind victory to beat Auburn. I think the scoreline was a little misleading. I think Georgia was pretty firmly. I know they were behind for most of it. They didn't take the lead for the first time until the fourth quarter, but it felt like Georgia had control of that game. A few untimely things uh, a Peyton Thorne, like 60 yard scamper on a quarterback power or a quarterback like designed run, uh, fumble in the first play of the second half. I feel like that put Georgia behind schedule a little bit, but they win the game. Kentucky, meanwhile, very impressive in beating Florida by double digits. Close like a pick in that game. We're now here, Georgia, I, 14 and a half. We're getting close to like the lowest you're going to see Georgia in any regular season game against you know, pretty much anybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Laying 14 and a half total. Trickling down, but 49 is the number right now. Cody, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, so given that, you know, Georgia's two SEC victories to this point against South Carolina and Auburn have basically been coming back after sluggish first halves and on the, you know, on the scoreboard, uh, this might be surprising, but I'm going Georgia first half minus seven and a half. Like you said, Last week's game against Auburn, Georgia, they did come out a little bit flat, and I think that was on both sides of the ball, which, you know, set up some fluky plays like the Peyton Thorne run and things of that nature. But I think that – and really maybe this is just me having too much faith in Kirby Smart, but I cannot see a Georgia team coming out flat and mistake-prone in another SEC game under Kirby Smart. I think he's going to have them ready to play. But more importantly – when I look at the when I look at the way last week finished up, Carson Beck and, Bra- and Brock Bowers really started to find something together last week. Brock Bowers had a monster game, and I think that's really crucial to get this passing offense really going, which is also going to in turn set up the run. But more importantly, Kentucky's defense is only fifty eighth in success rate against the pass, and I think that if they continue to you know if I think if Mike Bobo recognizes what he saw last week with Bet getting more comfortable with as Bowers as the primary target in this offense. I think we see the passing offense for Georgia really start to take steps forward. And more importantly, Devin Leary and Liam Cohen, we, everyone was excited about that marriage coming into the season about how, you know, Kentucky's pass game is going to get off the ground again. They're pretty below average in terms yeah. of the passing game this year. Uh, they had, you know, an explosive game last week with Ray Davis in the uh, rushing attack against Florida. I don't see Georgia allowing them to replicate that. I think they stack the box and I think they feel confident in their defensive backs to cover these Kentucky wide receivers in this uh, game. So I don't see Kentucky having as much offensive success offensive success as Auburn even did last week. Leary's not really a threat to move the ball with his legs. He still looks less than hundred percent. Uh, from last year's injuries. And so I just think Georgia jumps out to a lead and kind of sits on it in this one. I agree. I I was between Georgia and the under. Uh, I, I think George, I think you're getting a, a pretty nice discount on Georgia. And I mean, listen, I've said that several times this year, and maybe this Georgia team doesn't have that gear that we expect them to. That being said, People questioned Kentucky going into last week on what their offense was like and what they were going to be like. And they looked really good against Florida, but they also ripped off, what was it, like two 70-plus yard runs from Ray Davis. Like, that's not happening yeah. again on the road against Georgia. It's not. Georgia's yeah. defense is far more um, far more tight, and you're on the road. You're not at home, and there's a competent offense on the other side. Like, when Graham Mertz goes down, he's not coming back. It's over. Right. You can't play from a negative game script. Georgia has actually proven that they can play from a negative game script. So I actually think if Kentucky were to get out ahead, Georgia could easily answer. That being said, I do not see Kentucky sustaining long drives here because of what you mentioned. The passing game is non-existent. This mm-hmm. is a national average Kentucky passing game right now uh, against one of the softest schedules in the entire country. They mm-hmm. played nobody. Yeah. They played the worst team in the SEC in Vanderbilt, and then they played Florida at home, and they didn't even pass the ball that well. So yeah. – 
I think Kentucky's going to struggle to move the ball. That being said, it doesn't strike me as Georgia, this offense is built as constructed right now and the way Mike Bobo is calling plays to go drop 45 on a team. I think Kentucky's yeah. defense is pretty good, but I don't think Georgia's looking to run up a score. They don't do that. They more kind of strangle teams into submission. So my favorite play is on the under. I, I think this sets up like a 30 to 10 Georgia win. Pretty pedestrian, not a lot of excitement. Georgia's defense wows, reminds people that you can't really score on this team. Kentucky can't move the ball. A lot of punts, ball oh, control. Yeah. Kentucky, they don't play fast. Georgia's national average in pace, but they're not like, you know, right around the national average. Kentucky's outside the top 100 in plays per minute. So, and there's going to be limited plays, limited scoring chances for both teams. I, I think Georgia, pretty rocking chair win here. I, I think this line is bordering on uh, kind of disrespectful. No, I, I'm 100% with you. I could definitely see like a game script where we both win pretty easily. Like Georgia jumps out to a 17 3 lead at halftime. And then, like I said, they just sit on it, you know, just pound the rock with Dejon Edwards and let the defense continue to stifle Kentucky for the second half. Like, I think under 49 is just, that's a, it's a wild total for this game, given what, especially what we've seen pretty historically between these two. Like, these two like to get into rock fights. Yes. And as I pull it up right now, but if I'm not mistaken, the Georgia Auburn total closed. 45 and a half or something like that. And the Kentucky one, I know because I bet it and somehow got over, which was very annoying, uh, closed 44. So these are two teams that have been trending towards dead under teams, very low total. You're getting a serious bump here. And I think that bump is from explosive plays that Kentucky won't be able to find here on the road against Georgia. So I I like the under quite a bit in this one. I think uh, this sets up for a defensive struggle. So under 49 is uh, one of my favorite plays of the week. No, I love it. I'm with you. I, I will say a, a bigger Georgia question because we kind of spoke about it at the beginning if they have that other gear. I think Carson Beck's good. I think Carson Beck's very yeah. good, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I think the play calling is very pedestrian and it's very side to side at the line of scrimmage. Carson Beck's got a pretty big arm. Mm-hmm. I want to see Georgia take some. Sh- I don't believe they will unless they need to, but I want to see Carson Beck get the ball down the field a little bit, pump it a little bit because. I think we've seen flash and you mentioned with the Brock Bowers. I mean, Carson Beck had some really nice throws Mm -hmm. down the field in that fourth quarter that got that drive together. And Brock Bowers obviously rips off that touchdown that wins them the game. Also something to note, Lad McConkey hasn't played this year. He played for the first time last week. He's going to get into gear. I think Georgia, I still believe they should be the national title favorites because until proven otherwise, they are the favorites. They won the past two years. I agree with that. Even if I think Michigan might be better right now, I think Georgia has another gear. But Georgia's been like sneaky, really banged up this entire season. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys transitioning into new roles. A lot of guys banged up. I do think if as the season progresses, Georgia starts to turn into what we believe they should be. And maybe like when we look back at what happened earlier in the season, we go, oh, they were really hurt and transitioning in a lot of new pieces. And that's why... Mm -hmm they kind of underwhelmed to odds make odds makers expectations. They didn't, they haven't covered their first five games. No, hundred percent. I mean, you look at someone like Lad McConkey who, yes, he played last week, but I mean, it's his first game of the season. Like Lad McConkey might be one of the most underrated wide receivers in the country, probably because he's a big white guy if we're being completely honest about it. But like at the end of the day, like, yeah, like when Stetson Bennett needed a bit like, not even like an explosive play, but a big play, like a crucial play, a crucial first down. It was Lad McConkey because Brock Bowers is probably going to be double covered on that in that situation. And Lad McConkey came up over and over again. And so having that aspect of the offense is huge. But your point about Carson Beck's true. Like my big thought when I watch Carson Beck this season is, man, I wish Todd Monken was still here because that offense would be a hell of a lot of fun. Carson Beck, like he's going to get drafted. Oh, I absolutely. Think. He's got a big arm. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, I mean, he is a very talented player. He's obviously more talented than Stetson Bennett. No, no disrespect to the two time national champion and Heisman finalist, but I mean, he's miles, miles more talented than Stetson Bennett ever was. And I think that the weaponry is as this, the same as it's ever been. But I think your, what your point is very salient about end of the season as this team gets healthier, as this team starts to get more comfortable in a new scheme, as new pieces start to more, co- more or less coalesce in this offense and with Carson Beck, 
I think that we see more of the juggernauty type Georgia team that we're we become accustomed to seeing. Something to keep an eye on. Speaking of teams that have looked like a juggernaut, Texas, Oklahoma, Red River, mm. early slate on Saturday afternoon, Texas Lane. Closer touchdown now, six and a half. Total at 60 and a half. Cody, you've been driving the Longhorns bandwagon all year long. This is That's right. This is crazy to say but probably the last big test we'll see from this team we'll see a home game against kansas state later in the year road trip to tcu but this is kind of it for texas where if they win this one they are really in the driver's seat when we're talking college football playoff when mm-hmm. you're heisman all that stuff do they live up to the hype uh absolutely um Uh, I'll let you uh, speak on the side shortly, but I have my play in this game speaks to the side as well, but I have Oklahoma's team total under 26 and a half Um, because of how explosive Oklahoma's offense has been at times this season. It's easy to look and say, okay, no one's going to keep them under four touchdowns, especially in a big spot, yada, yada, yada. But when they played good to even average defenses this season, they've been stifled. They scored 20 points against Cincinnati on the road, and they scored 28 against SMU at home. Texas is by far the best defense that they've played this season. And I think more importantly, it's the best pass rush that Oklahoma, pass rush that Oklahoma's seen this season. And I think they're going to cause Dylan Gabriel a lot of problems. Dylan Gabriel last year, he really struggled, I felt like, in this offense when there was a lot of pressure in his face, and I thought his decision-making suffered because of that. More importantly, Oklahoma hasn't shown an ability to run the ball consistently this season. They Their run game is virtually non-existent. So if you shut down Dylan Gabriel and company, it's pretty much lights out for this offense. I just think Texas' defense and more – actually, their offense, I think that they decide this game at the lines of scrimmage. I think they really harass Gabriel and really interrupt this passing offense, and I think that puts Oklahoma in a real bind. And I don't see them scoring more than three touchdowns in this game. I'm afraid to touch the total. Mm-hmm. Because I think the Red River game always seems to have some chaos built into it. and It's true. It's very true. Oklahoma, while I question how legitimate their explosive passing game is, because I don't know, I, they definitely don't have the receivers that Texas does, they've been able to take some shots downfield. And if you complete one, all of a sudden this game kind of cascades into a shootout. Mm-hmm. I will say I laid it with Texas as my best bet in this one. I agree on why I think Texas is going to cover because of what you said about the run game. Oklahoma has not been able to run the ball whatsoever this year. They're averaging less than four yards per carry, bottom half of the country in terms of rush offense. That's a big issue because what they've been able to do is Dylan Gabriel's been able to truck the ball downfield against outmatched secondaries and a bunch of YOLO balls. I watched the Iowa State game last week. Not even like accurate throws, double coverage bombs, and they were just dropping in receivers' laps. Dylan Gabriel's really good. He's a veteran. He's got a big arm. Lefty, too. I like lefties. I'm a lefty. Um, <laughs> that being said, you know, he's been completing 76% of his passes. He's averaging over 10 yards per pass, which is top 15 in the entire country. If it's going to be obvious passing downs because Oklahoma can't get ahead of schedule with the run game, Texas's pass rush is going to get home because they have the better defensive line, mm-hmm. and they're going to be able to drop everyone in coverage. They grade out top third in the country in terms of coverage grades. The deep shots aren't going to be there. All of a sudden, Oklahoma won. If Texas is going to score like we think they can with their deep shots, and Oklahoma has a few unsuccessful drives, all of a sudden, we're going in the wrong direction quickly, and this game could kind of cascade out of control for Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. where there are too many empty drives, Texas is finding answers, and you you have A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, hopefully Jatavion Sanders, the stud uh, tight end plays, Uh, and then Texas offense kind of just overwhelms Oklahoma and puts them too far behind. Again, I don't really buy Oklahoma. I think they're pretty fraudulent. I think they played a pretty easy schedule. I don't want to go towards the total because it's still a fast-paced offense. They have a good offensive coordinator in Jeff Levy. They had a few downfield shots in a crazy game. Someone's running for the hills uh, on Cody's camera. uh, (laughs) I think Oklahoma could potentially score in this game. That's why I don't want to go near it. I just think this is one where Texas gets enough timely stops where they push it out of reach. Like I see something in the neighborhood and like this even could play to your underplay, but like something like 38, 24, something yeah. like that, where Texas hits enough deep shots, kind of puts Oklahoma in a negative game script where it, Gabriel's playing hero ball and it just yeah. doesn't work. And the team falls way too behind the lines, way behind the sticks. I mean, Texas offense, the offensive line look good. 
The run game has been hit or miss, but it actually broke out last week against Kansas. Yeah. Um, they're still averaging over five yards carry. So I think yep. Texas has enough answers here on offense with those weapons. And I mean, we've seen it the last few years, like big game Sark. He's kind of been like, this has been like his oh, yeah. spots. Like when he was back at the OC of Alabama, even last year against Alabama, obviously this year against Alabama. In big games, he's been able to really cook. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I know – what was the final score last year, Red River? 49 nothing. I know Gabriel didn't play, and maybe that – like the game was kind of just over. And I'm, maybe this point is a little irrelevant, but like still put 49 in this defense. I know Oklahoma's defense is supposedly better, but haven't really been tested yet. This is an Oklahoma team that is top 15 in third down conversion percentage, red zone touchdown percentage. Those things are going to come back to earth against a team that is always ahead of schedule like Texas. I think Texas kind of rolls here, and they went by double digits. No, 100%. I mean, like, yes, I understand Gabriel didn't play last year in this game. But at the same time, like, I think we would both agree that both of these teams are improved from what we saw from them a season ago. But even with the backup quarterback, it's still Oklahoma. And Texas beat them by 49 points. So, like, getting a touchdown in this game just feels – like this is another instance where had you not put it on the doc on our you know pre-show document first i was definitely looking texas minus six and a half so i like your commitment to spreading the love and hope like if we just get enough shots on net here we could one of us will figure it out look i'm carrying a shotgun to the betting board and i'm spraying it because (laughs) uh but no i i my, I think what you said about Hero Ball is kind of why I lean for D- Dylan Gabriel is why I lean to the under team total for Oklahoma, just because I think this Texas defense is perfectly set up to put Oklahoma in that kind of pressure cooker situation where they need a play and they need it now. And Gabriel is the type of quarterback who's going to try and make that play. But I think Texas defense is perfectly set up to take advantage of any mistake in that type of situation and just kind of limit what Oklahoma is able to do and able to muster up in any any sort of comeback attempt 100 percent. let's move to our final big game that we want to hit on alabama texas a&m control of the sec west on the line here this is oh, yeah. alabama responds after the slow start the loss to texas they take care of business against ole miss texas a&m has looked apart thus far in sec play beat arkansas in a neutral field last week they're home in college station Again, it's going to be Max Johnson. I know there was a pick six in there last week, but Johnson did what he had to do. He has plenty of receivers to throw to. Uh, Alabama going on the road. This is their, well, Mississippi State last week in Starkville, but this is their first big-time true road game. Yeah. Like A&M, they played at Miami, so maybe that's like a different type of feel. But in College Station, this line is inside of a field goal now. Alabama, Texas, A&M, thoughts, concerns, Give me the bet. I'm first off, let me say I'm super excited for this one because I want to see which of these teams is actually, you know, for real, more or less. Mm-hmm. But I I I dug a little deep for this one, let's be honest. But uh I'm going Alabama second half team total under 12 and a half points. Uh and really this comes down to the game script that I see. So Texas A&M's defense has been one of the best in the country. They are second in the country in overall success rate defensively this season. And that probably does not bode well for Jalen Milrow and Tommy Reese in this Alabama offense in this game. But I do think if Alabama is going to have success, I actually think it kind of flips the big game script that we've talked about earlier in the season where, you know, you kind of see both teams kind of filling each other out. I think Reese in this Alabama offense will try to attack that early and then I think Texas A&M and has the has the better unit in that matchup, offense versus defense. But I also think that they have the ability to adjust and limit what Alabama is able to do offensively in the second half of this game. The only time we've really seen Texas A&M's defense be had their back against the wall was in their loss to Miami. But Tyler Van Dyke was just cooking them through the air. Like literally anything he wanted through the air was there. Jalen Milrow has still not proven the ability to do that against a quality defense. And especially after second half or after halftime adjustments, I don't see him being able to do that against the Aggies. Yeah, I I think – I don't know how I feel about the total and how this game is going to go because I do feel like Alabama has a pretty capped ceiling in terms of how many points they could score. And if Mm -hmm. this game – gets into the mid to high 20s, I think they're going to be out of luck in this one against Texas A&M. 
my look in this one, keep it simple. I'm going to take Texas A&M. I'll take the two and a half points because that's what odds makers mm-hmm. are giving me. I think A&M is going to win this game outright. You mentioned Same. that Miami game and Texas A&M got cooked in the secondary. Texas A&M does struggle tackling. That is the big bugaboo of this team. And maybe Alabama out physicals them on the road. Maybe Jalen Milrow, who I think has shown a propensity to hit a few deep shots. Maybe mm-hmm. that's maybe that's what happens in this game and they get the better of them. That being said, I think they're going to be too behind the they're going to be too far behind the sticks, similar to how I see Oklahoma going. I think Alabama is going to struggle to stay on schedule on this one, and Milrow is going to make way too many mistakes in this one because he's going to be in such a disadvantageous game state. Texas A&M, one of the best rush defense in the entire country, top twenty-five in rush defense success rate. Looking at rush defense grades, I mean, Texas A&M has size everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this Alabama offensive line is still a huge concern. They're outside the top 100 in sacks allowed this year. I think A&M is going to play bully ball at the defensive line. I don't think they're going to give up any big runs to McLennan, even Jalen Milrow. So I like A&M's defensive matchup because their weak spot isn't as big of an issue. Like Tyler Van Dyke has a big arm. He's able to oh, yeah. the ball on the field. Milrow may be able to hit one or two, but like consistently, like this Alabama offense is only looking for like 20 pass plays tops. They're trying to run yeah. the ball at you, which is going to play into Texas A&M strengths. On the other side, we saw Texas find some answers against Alabama, uh, Alabama over the top. Texas A&M's pass catching group. I mean, how do you want to look at this? Florida State, LSU, Texas, Texas A&M, best receiver, uh, Washington, obviously, like maybe there's your top five pass catching yeah. groups in the entire country right there. 100%. A&M is right there. I know Max Johnson, I don't see that big of a downgrade. They have a great offensive play caller and Bobby Petrino. They grade out as the third best passing offense in the entire country, according to the pro football focus. And one of them is air force. So I don't think you could like that counts because they're so explosive and they hit such deep shots. Washington is one air force with an <laughs> asterisk is two. Texas A&M is three. So I, yeah. and for this argument, Colorado's four, then Miami's five, who cooked AM. So again, like we're talking like elite passing games here. Oh, yeah. I think AM is going to put the pressure on Alabama, and I think Alabama is really going to struggle here. You also want to talk about an interesting little subplot in this game. Bryce Young got hurt last year, shoulder, I believe. Jalen Milrow started against Texas AM last year, like a listless Texas AM team that couldn't do anything on offense. Alabama was a massive favorite. AM, if I'm not mistaken, had a drive with a minute left to win the game against oh, Alabama, yeah. and they didn't score. Miller on that game played fine. 12 of 19, though, 111 yards, three touchdowns, ran for 81 yards and threw a pick. He was fine. But that being said, AM has seen this before. Even if Miller has gotten better now that he's a starter, he's got a little bit more confidence in the flow of the offense. I think AM at home, I think they're the goods here. I think they're honestly the better team. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think this matchup doesn't suit Alabama very well this year because they no, can't take advantage of that A&M secondary. No, 100%. And I think what, going to your point last year, like I'm less – I mean, in terms of like wide receiver group, it's basically the same group that uh, A&M saw last year, which isn't very uh, a fearsome group from Alabama. But they're also – they don't have the threat of Jameer Gibbs – uh, that Alabama had last year, which was a big like when Milrow had to take over the offense, they fed Gibbs a lot, particularly in the quick passing game and stuff like that. And so I think that Alabama, one of their advantages they had with Milrow running the offense last season is now gone. And then on top of that, when you look back at the success, the limited success, but success nonetheless that Jalen Milrow had in the Texas game, it was when Texas got out of their rush lanes with outside pressure. A&M is dominant on the interior with guys like Walter Nolan and things like that when they're rushing. And I think that can cause Milrow even more problems when he does drop back to pass, especially if he's trying to hit those deep shots. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think Alabama just particularly as the game goes on and they get worn down and continue to be behind script, I think it actually puts uh, creates more problems for the Crimson Tide. Yeah, I, I think this is shaping up for an A&M win, in my opinion. I just think – the matchup suits them well. I, I don't really – like Max Johnson even getting a game there I, yeah. I think helps. I I don't see a, that big of a downgrade, especially with the weapons there. Uh, Evan Stewart should be good to go, one of A&M stud receivers. So uh, this should be a super, super interesting game, A&M two and a half. 
we'll, we'll see how this one goes. Let's go with some of our staple, uh, mm. staple bets here. Let's talk some upset and sickos pick. Yours is a little bit more uh, gutsy, so I'll go first. We spoke about this game earlier. I'm going to take Nebraska plus three and a half against Illinois, plus 140 on the money line, Friday night game. I think Nebraska is a better team here. I think I'm hoping it's Heinrich Harburg starting because what Nebraska has been able to do this year is with Harburg in is basically just service Academy running where mm-hmm. Harburg is now their leading rusher and Illinois defensive line has taken a serious step back. This is a team yeah. outside the top 100 in defensive line yards. Nebraska's offensive line actually is graded out very nicely this entire year. Uh, top 25 in the country in terms of offensive line yards. So if they're going to be pushing forward, they're going to be able to stay ahead of schedule. I think they're just going to ground and pound here. And you were talking about Illinois' defense on fumes, tired. I mean, they let 44 to Purdue last week. Mm-hmm. And also your point, I watched that Purdue game. Luke Allmeyer looked banged up. He was taking some shots from the Purdue defensive line. I think that Allmeyer, I don't want to say like he's not going to play or something, but it looks like he's got like a lower leg injury because he was kind of hobbling around in the backfield. That game really got away from him. I think Nebraska, they're going to keep this on the ground. I, I think, honestly, this is setting up for, and they're averaging 5.47 yards per carry, top 20 in the country. Mm-hmm. Illinois, the defense isn't the same this year. I think Nebraska is a live running dog here. So plus three and a half, low totaled game. Always nice to get over a field goal, but I think they win this game outright. Plus 140 on the money line. You're a bold man for touching either side in this game. I will tell you that right now. But with I confidence. Do, with say oh, it with my chest. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm bought in now. Let's go Huskers. Let's get some corn. Um, <laughs> but no, I I think if you're gonna take a side, taking the dog, especially with the line over a field goal, like I like that a lot. Um, and like you said, with Harburg, this offense has proven that it can run the ball. I mean, even in, when you look at the call, you know, Colorado blowing out uh blown out Nebraska with Jeff Sims at quarterback, they actually moved the ball pretty effectively on the ground. Sims included, like they ran the ball pretty much at will against that Colorado defense. And Illinois defense is probably about on that level in terms of defending the run. Like it's Johnny Newton. And then dudes who are probably worse than replacement level. Like that's kind of what they're looking at. Nebraska, their defense, uh, Nebraska has the edge in both trenches. Mm-hmm. I think both the offensive and defensive line, Nebraska has an edge in this one. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, this Illinois offense is not what it was last year. They're passing at a top 50% rate in the entire country this year. So I think they're going to fall behind the sticks and mainly because they can't run the ball. I mean, Nebraska's rush defense has been nails this year. And you you, you look at the scope of this year, they lose that heartbreaker to Minnesota with Sims turning the ball over. They lose that game to Colorado probably more than they should have because of all the Sims turnovers. Right. Then they blow out Northern Illinois. They take care of business against La Tech, and then they run to Michigan, which is like the worst matchup ever for them because they can't throw the ball. <laughs> yeah, but that's not going to be as much of an issue against an Illinois team that isn't getting pressure, can't stop the run. I think Nebraska is going to be able to muck this game up and take advantage. And I just Illinois just trending in the wrong direction. I think Nebraska by the end of this year is going to like end up like top half of Big Ten West just in terms of like the trajectory of their season, given like where some of these other teams are right now in the middle of the division. I think that's probably a fair point. I think it's possibly a situation that, you know, Matt rule chose the wrong quarterback, you know, it happens. And I'm not saying Corbett's good either, but like, he kind of run this offense better. No, a hundred percent. There there are levels to this thing and it's still a very low level, but in terms of function, like there were times with that, with Jeff Sims where the offense wasn't functional. Like, it was just, like, yeah. dead in the water the moment he took the snap. And with Harburg, they're at least functional. It's not pretty, and it's not necessarily something you want to, like, you know, rely on moving forward because he's only a sophomore. But, like, they're probably going to look for an upgrade in the portal in the offseason. But at the same time, it is more effective. And against an Illinois defense that has just shown no resistance, I think it's – I think you're right. They are very much a live dog. Yeah, for sure. All right, you got, you got a uh, gutsy one here. So what do you got? Yeah, I'm uh, back to set myself up for more disappointment by picking against Ohio State. Uh, I've got Maryland in the points, plus 19.5 against Ohio State, uh, plus 800 on the money line if you're curious. Don't take that. I don't think Maryland – This is your this second game. time. This is your second time fading Ohio State here. I mean, and it's probably with, not going to be – With an upset. It's probably not going to be the last either. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> I, I refuse to believe in Ohio State, whether I'm an idiot or not. But um, – 
I just think this number's too big. I don't think Maryland is getting the respect that they deserve based on what we've seen. I understand their schedule has not been anything impressive, but they're 17th in offensive success rate this season. And Ohio State, for as good as their defense has been overall, they're actually only 74th in success rate against the pass, and that's what Maryland does best with Talia Tagovailoa. Yeah. And I think I, I've been impressed with Talia for a long time, but I think what I really like about this Maryland passing offense right now is how much they're spreading the ball around. They have four pass catchers with at least 18 receptions and at least 200 yards on the, on the season. So it's not just, you know, Rakeem Jarrett or whoever. Like, it's not just like, you know, a focal point of the passing offense that Talia is throwing to. It is a diverse group of talented pass catchers who are, you know, three and four star recruits that they've developed. And I think that Ohio State secondary has not been necessarily tested by this caliber of a passing offense yet. I don't think Maryland's defense is going to necessarily provide much resistance against this Ohio State offense that admit much to my chagrin based on what I said early in the season is starting to seemingly hit its stride with Kyle McCord and the rushing in the run game as well. But I think that Maryland will have enough to in their in their passing offense to test the Ohio State defense. And I just think 19 and a half is way too big a number for that. I think this the final score settles around like a two touchdown victory for Ohio State. Yeah, I don't know if I'm calling for an outright upset, but I yeah. I I have Maryland running down as like a potential bet to keep it relatively close. I, I yeah. think last year Maryland took them to like the bitter end into the fourth quarter. And I, I think there are some avenues for Maryland to keep this close. Also, like we, we think Ohio state is back because they beat Notre Dame, but like, this is a different expectation. They now need to beat the crap out of a team. Right. And I think, I don't know if Maryland is necessarily a team that they could beat the crap out of. Like if, if in a hypothetical world, they were playing Purdue off their by, I'd be like, okay, Ohio State might come out and smack around a team. Maryland, they have weapons on the outside. Their run game has been very stout. I think Ohio State's defense is pretty reliable, but like, is Kyle McCord going to cook in this game and they're going to take the top off this Maryland defense? Still to be seen. So yeah. I don't hate the look. I don't know if I'm calling for an outright upset, though. Yeah, I mean, I just – I still carry some – trepidation about Kyle McCord in this passing offense. And I think that in this matchup that Maryland is lot, I I'm very confident in the plus 19 and a half, but I'm putting it down as the upset pick because I just think that there is, there is enough about this Ohio state team, because when you look back at the Notre Dame game, Notre Dame did not have an explosive passing game in like, they just don't have an explosive passing game. That's not Sam Hartman's game. And that's not the way Notre Dame plays offense and wants to play the game. They mucked it up and they got it into a low scoring game that frankly, they should have Notre Dame probably should have won that game. And I just think that if you put the pressure on Kyle McCord to answer, you know, I think this game more or less, I think this game has the potential for, a shootout. Maybe it's not the likeliest outcome, but I think it has that potential. And we have not seen Kyle McCord answer the call in that type of spot. And so I think if that happens, then Maryland becomes live. We shall see. As always, our final segment, the Sickos pick. Oh, I, yes. I Dilfer, the, the number I bet and the number that I gave out on the show because it wasn't available anymore, it ended up landing right in between, which are like, uh, of course. But of course. Dilfer had another uh, miracle over uh, I bonus bet Dilfer over again, UAB South Florida. <laughs> the total should start with a seven. It's like 67 and a half right now. Bonus bet over uh, 67 and a half. But Cody, take us home here. Where are you looking for your sickos pick? Oh, I'm going to the, you know, midday, mid-Saturday Maction and Ohio. Where else, minus, where else would you go? Uh, uh, there's nowhere else to go. Uh, I've got the Ohio Bobcats minus 25 and a half against Kent state. Uh, let's be, I mean, let's just call it what it is. Kent state might be the worst college football team in the country. They're horrendous. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they probably are. Never yeah. I mean, that. yeah, it's, it's not pretty. Uh, they rank 132nd in offensive success rate this season. And now they go up against the Ohio team that is actually top 15 nationally in defensive success rate. And then you go to the other side of the ball. Kent State's defense is also bad, not quite as bad as the offense, but they're horrendous against the pass. They're 122nd success rate against the pass. Curtis Rourke finally seems to starting to be 
finally seems to be getting his legs underneath him right now. And I think that he just kind of has his way with this Kent State defense that doesn't seem to have any resistance for anyone that they played so far this season. And more importantly, I don't think Kent State – like if Kent State ended up getting shut out in this game, it would not surprise me. Ohio's defense is legit, not just for a group of top five team, not just for a matching team. They're legit and on a national scale. And for uh, going up against legitimately one of the worst offenses in the country, I don't see Kent State scoring, and I think Ohio State kind of just moves the ball whenever they want to. Yeah, I don't hate that. Ohio's really uh, shaving out to be the best MAC team, as some mm-hmm. had predicted going into the year. Mine, Boston College, Army, over oh. 50 and a half. Service Academy over, why not? Uh, <laughs> I, I love <laughs> – this is going to sound silly, but I love this Boston College team. I love since the move to Thomas Castellanos, the UCF transfer, dual threat, dynamic quarterback, kind of a wild card, but he really makes a lot of plays downfield. They had a really nice comeback win against Virginia last week. Yeah. Uh, I believe they were down two scores at half and they end up winning. Um, I, I think this game is a recipe for points, though, because the biggest issue on Boston College is their defense and especially their rush defense. Um I mean, this is a team 91st and defensive rush success rate. You're getting Army with extra time also. And we saw right before their bye week, things start to click with Army's offense. They're starting to usher in a new OC, new play calling, more pass plays. They put up 30-plus against UTSA. They only scored 16 against Syracuse, but they moved the ball pretty nicely early mm-hmm. in that game before the Orange buck, uh, buttoned it off. I think Army's going to move the ball at will against this BC defense because this B- BC defense can't start – stop a nosebleed they're especially terrible at covering (laughs) they're also terrible at covering the pass one of the worst pass defense in the country so army could get a few chunk plays over the top so i think army's going to have big plays left and right but i think castellanos are going to wreak some havoc on this army defense that really doesn't grade out so nicely they haven't played a murderer's row of offense in any way syracuse scored 29 they hardly had the ball because of army's ball control offense and utsa with a backup quarterback hit chunk plays left and right with their backup quarterback army's defense can't get in the backfield outside the top 100 in tackles for loss they're also bottom half of the country in explosive rush defense again castellanos run first quarterback i think he can really turn up field and make some plays i think it's an over game i think like sneaky shootout potential here early slate cbs sports network i i think over 50 and a half um i think fireworks in store in this one you had me at over in CBS Sports Network. I feel like there's not a CBS Sports Network game that I'm not looking for the over. But no, I'm like, legitimately, you look at what these two teams are like coming into this game, and it feels like this is the type of game where someone who hasn't been keeping up with Boston College and Army looks at like, you know, the ESPN app midway through Saturday and is like, wait, how did these two teams combine to score 75? Like, I'm I don't t- there's firework potential in this one. Absolutely. I mean, if you you know if you just need something to throw on your third or fourth screen, throw on the Boston College Army game because it's going to be fun. That's and where like, I'll be. Oh, one hundred. I mean, that might be main screen for me. Who knows? <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I love the play. I think that's easily the right side. All right, loaded show here. We gave out a ton of picks, Cody. You want to recap before we get out of here? Yeah, let's let's shotgun these or machine gun. I guess I've already shotgunned the board. Um, so early week, I have Nebraska, Illinois over 43 uh, favorite total of the week, Colorado, Arizona state over 60 and a half uh, Notre Dame, Louisville. I have Notre Dame minus six and a half Kentucky, Georgia. I have Georgia first half minus seven and a half Texas, Oklahoma. I have Oklahoma team total under 26 and a half in red river. Uh, Alabama A&M, I have Alabama second half team total under 12 and a half and upset pick Maryland plus 19 and a half against Ohio State plus 800 on the money line if you want a little sprinkle and then Sicko's pick Ohio minus 25 and a half against Kent State. All right. A lot of that sounded like a lot. It was a mouthful. Uh, I read and playing Oklahoma State plus 10 and a half against Kansas State on Friday night. Playing the over San Jose State, Boise State, over 59, under 54 in Notre Dame, Louisville, under 49 in Georgia, Kentucky. I'm going to lay the points with Texas against Oklahoma, minus six and a half. I'm going to take Texas A&M plus two and a half against Alabama. Take Nebraska plus three and a half against Illinois. Sprinkle on the plus 140 money line. I think they're going to win. Uh, and Boston College Army over 50 and a half is my sickos pick if you like those bets if you want to bet those bets and you haven't signed up yet make sure you sign up for DraftKings sportsbook and use the code 
STB. It sounds it stands for this fantastic program stack in the box. If you do that and you bet $5 on any of these bets, you will get $200 in bonus bets instantly, plus same, no sweat first bet on your first same game parlay with DraftKings Sportsbook. So really good promo there, Cody. It was an awesome show. Enjoy the game absolutely. this weekend. Let's get back on track. Oh, see you absolutely. on Wednesday, same time. Yes, sir. All right, we're we'll going to be back here. on track and we'll see you then. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.